A special thanks to Noah for sponsoring this podcast episode. Use code BAGEL for a 7-day free trial, plus 37% off the annual subscription fee, and start listening to business articles from the world's leading publishers today. So what would you think if we pitched them an idea for like a finance show? We're like, oh, hell yeah. That's usually one of the biggest hurdles people have is a fear to like look at how much they've spent. <laughs> I will beat the budget drum until I'm blue in the face. I will die on that hill because that is where the power is found. Even when folks do start to have some kind of mainstream or commercial success, their lack of confidence and knowledge when it comes to finance ends up still being their undoing. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Plain Podcast, the Plain Bagel Podcast, where uh, I try to talk to people from all different spheres of financial planning, investment management, and really all things finance to try and garner some insights and some lessons about finance and the topic at a higher level. Today, we are blessed with the presence of a pretty big channel from YouTube, uh, the hosts of Two Cents. Uh, this is Philip Olson and Julia Lawrence Olson, who I'm sure you've seen on YouTube before because really they're one of the bigger faces in that space. Uh, their channel covers really anything finance related from mortgages and credit cards to subjects like investing and what are stocks and things like that. And we've actually also, uh, we collaborated once before, which is my kind of small claim to fame on, <laughs> on Two Cents, my little cameo there. But uh, I wanted to have them on and, and kind of extend the invitation uh, because outside of YouTube, outside of the great content they put up, they also work as financial planners for their own financial planning company. So Philip and Julia, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks Richard, yeah. I know we uh, we had some difficulty getting this going with uh, in Texas, you guys. It was an ice storm, was it, that that caused uh, some issues? <laughs> ice. There was no actual ice, but school well, was canceled. Well, no, there was ice last time. The first time we had to cancel on you, there was a legit oh. amount, a lot of ice. And then, mm. and then the next time our kid was sick, and then today they also canceled school for ice, but there is no ice to be seen. So I see. And you guys, you guys, you guys made it out anyway. So I, I appreciate that <laughs> the the tenacity. Um, so before hopping into kind of higher level personal finance topics, um, I guess we'll just start with you know a bit about you you guys and and the channel that you have and the work that you do. So could you maybe explain a bit about what got you guys from, uh, because if I understand correctly too, you guys actually have theatrical backgrounds, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm curious, you know, what's brought you, what was the path from uh, theater to financial planning? <laughs> A wayward one. Do you want me to handle this one? Uh, <laughs> He's worried I'm going to take like 20 minutes to do it. <laughs> my oh, that's my fine. version's shorter. Time Her version has more flavor. All right, go ahead. We'll do a shorter one today. So, uh, okay, the brief version is we met in college for theater. We uh, both have theater degrees and pursued uh, acting and directing for a little while. Um, we were struggling, starving artists for years and uh, eventually kind of dipped our toes into entrepreneurship and, you know, a better understanding of finance kind of started to blossom with that. Julia mm -hmm. had a, a couple of side businesses, uh, reselling vintage clothing and personal organizing. Um, I was uh, a, a theater teacher for children for some time. And in the background of all of this, I was kind of cultivating just kind of a hobby interest in personal finance. Um, you know, reading some of the introductory, you know, 
books that we tend to when we're dipping our toe into this sort of thing. And uh, I got more and more interested in it, started getting in, you know, involved in my investments, involved in a budget, involved in, uh, you know, kind of thinking more about the future of, of our financial lives. And then I kind of decided to do a career change and ended up, uh, uh, you know, getting sort of burnt out as a theater teacher, got an offer to intern, intern as a, uh, uh, basically an insurance agent and a securities broker and said, this seems like a wild ride. Let's give it a try. So I transitioned mm-hmm. and very shortly after, uh, Julia actually got her licenses to become a mortgage, uh, lender and became a mortgage loan officer. Um, like you do <laughs> within like basically a year of, uh, we both made this transition yeah, like into right at the, same time. the financial world at the same time. Um, we were both on our separate career paths, kind of in a kind of corporate financial setting for something like four or five, six years, something like that. Uh, learning, learning, you know, the industry from the inside. And then we decided to launch our own firm in 2015 to focus and cater to the creatives and artists that we, you know, have spent our whole lives around and are ourselves. Mm-hmm. So then how did, even from there, how did that lead to having a PBS produced YouTube channel about personal finance? What what was kind of that connection between those two? Yeah, so that came from our theater days. So when we launched our firm, I knew we wanted to do video as a part of our um you know, marketing process, because we're both really comfortable on camera. And I just kind of had this vision for making kind of funny, you know, catchy videos so people could see us, like get a sense of what our personalities are like and know how we speak about finance, that we're trying to be really approachable. And, um, you know, we can kind of laugh about this stuff. It's not all super high stakes and spreadsheets and like, it's okay. And so we started self-producing just these little videos that we would write and they got kind of more and more involved. And, you know, (laughs) Philip learned uh, some animation, you know, things like that. But we would just post them on our Facebook page for the business. That's really the only place they lived. We didn't have anywhere else to put them. And a friend of mine who had um, directed me in a production of Hamlet years ago, he saw these and um, just on my timeline and reached out and said, hey, I saw these videos you guys are making. I think they're pretty good. I'm currently working as a lead animator on a PBS DS show. So PBS has a digital wing of their show. Mm -hmm. And he says, I know they're always looking for kind of like new show ideas. So what would you think if we pitched them an idea for like a finance show? We're like, Oh hell yeah. Like how (laughs) do we like, what a great place. Like we're both PBS kids like died in the wall. Like that's what we grew up on. And so getting to take part in that brand was like, Oh my gosh, what a dream. And so so that's what we did. We came together with our co-producers and creators. They're they're another married couple, Katie and Andrew. And together we came up with an idea for the show. We made a pilot. We pitched it to PBS. And then they said, yeah, we'd, we'd like to do this. And then like a year and a half after that, <laughs> this is like right as our brand new baby firm is launching. A year right. and a half after that, we uh, or almost two years, 
finally our first episode launched. So wow, yeah, no kidding. It takes a while. Oh, was well it like just building up content, or or like what was kind no, of no? Um, PBS bureaucracy has a, has a legal team that takes ah, okay. a long time, and like we went back and forth on should they produce the pilot. Like basically, if they funded the pilot, they would mm. have had claim over this show for like 18 months like we couldn't shop it around mm. anywhere and we really believed in the show so we were like mm, we don't want to do that so we decided to fund the pilot ourselves so that we could retain um ownership right. of it essentially right which so, which i'm sure you're, you're thanking yourselves now for doing that because you've seen the success on on the channel I guess so. I mean, I love PBS and I hope, you know, <laughs> I hope our, our, our relationship with them is, is strong, but it was just a lot. And sure, of course, there's yeah. like a piece of advice on there that I say a lot is like projects like this, businesses like this always takes twice as long and costs twice as much as you think it's going to be. That's just like sure, the yeah. rule. And it proved true here. Yeah. And, and I find, um, I mean, it, it comes with obviously having a professional production team, but the thing I like about your videos is that, you know, compared to YouTube videos, including mine, where it's, it's sometimes just a guy in front of a, a desk or something, there, there's a lot of like, you know, animation and, you know, I like that kind of side of it. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, people learn differently and some people learn by listening to a guy talking for an hour and, and other people learn by seeing visual uh, representations and, and I think that's really helpful for a lot of financial topics um, now you guys you kind of touched on it but your company with financial planning you mentioned it, it caters to what you call the creative types um, I guess I, I'd be curious to, to jump into that a bit because I think you know it, you mentioned it yourselves as being you know I guess starving and aspiring uh, actors I, I suppose it's a tough industry art and so I imagine there are some kind of unique challenges that come with financial planning in that space. And I was just curious if you could talk to that a little bit, like why, uh, what, what, I mean, obviously you guys kind of lived it yourselves, but what inspired you to focus on that area? So we've kind of always identified as outsiders in the financial world. We didn't go to college for it. We, uh, spent, you know, our youth and twenties believing that this is, we will, we will never, we will never be able to finance. This is, this is not <laughs> yeah. a skill we will have. Right. Uh, people like us don't do things like that. Um, right. And then we learned that the, a lot of that is a myth. And a lot of that is just sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that, yeah. you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're, I think people in lots of different communities, including the creative community are, uh, taught to believe and maybe almost even embraced as an identity that you're mm. you're more pure if you uh don't sell out to mm. the man or basically if you don't have any money and so uh <laughs> you know we we really have taken that experience we had and integrated that into everything we've really done in this space so as you mentioned two cents is bright it's colorful it's playful and light to be more accessible to people who who don't feel they can get into this world of finance that's so jargon heavy yeah. and can be intimidating with you know who's in it yeah. we need visuals mm. we need visuals we need metaphors we need yeah know, so two, stories two cents is like the gateway drug for uh, someone who's you know <laughs> not finance <laughs> kind of flirting with this idea of maybe maybe i can do finance uh, right. and like, just like me, once upon a time, 
Um, you need baby steps and you need kind of, you know, to build your confidence over time. And that's what Two Cents is really designed. We, we were told early on by a fan that they found it to be Sesame Street for adults. And I was like, yeah, I love that. Sure. That's a, that's mean, a great description. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, great. It's, it's not, it's not highly advanced. It's not highly technical and never gets very in depth. That's what channels like yours are for. That's right. what, you know, lots of other thought leaders are for, but this is, this is, you know, fits that specific niche. And so with our firm, same type of thing. We're like, you know, we can cater to anyone we want to, who would it be? And who's really kind of being ignored right now. And what it's ended up being over the last five or six years is, you know, I would say a lot of especially creative entrepreneurs, artists, musicians, podcasters, UX designers, and all, like, and honestly, you know, yeah. heavily skewing female because the same sort of issue, you know, this is, I think mm. the financial world is, uh, can be intimidating and not, not, you know, feel accepting to a lot of women. And so the fact that we're trying to make this a little bit more outsider friendly and, uh, you know, hold folks hands, explain things in depth, come with the heart of a teacher, uh, caters to that. A lot of times in the creative world, even when folks do start to have some kind of mainstream or commercial success, their lack of confidence and knowledge when it comes to finance ends up still being their undoing because they don't know how to manage mm. it or, uh, you know, make wise decisions or chasing every single shiny object. So we're trying to trying to help a few more of them you know, harness that right. success. Yeah. And like, I think in normal places, when you come, at least, you know, what I've heard from our clients who have tried to find help in other spaces is like, whenever they come with irregular income, you know, lots of people are, yeah. are trying, like they might have a nine to five, but they also have a side gig. Like they, they've got lots of things in the pot, right? Like lots mm -hmm. of plates that they're trying to spin to kind of get their creative energy out, which creates a, you know, not perfect nine to five income. And for some reason, like a lot of planners are just like, like, I don't know how to deal with that. And so we're like, oh, that's fine. Like, it doesn't mean you right. can't plan. It just means you have to approach it in slightly different ways. So like, that's a big piece that I see a lot in this. Mm. And then also just the lack of confidence because, you know, kind of self-fulfilling prophecy is most people who feel like a little on the artsy fartsy side for some <laughs> reason we're just told that like that means you're bad with money or like if math was mm. a struggle like it was for me math did not come naturally to me at all I thought that that was what kept me from being good at that and mm. my hope is just to be like no 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 <laughs> that's what calculators are for like you don't have <laughs> to do anything in your head like right really Finances is a mental game and learning about mm. yourself. Uh, so that's what we, well, I, you know. I think too, and I think it's it's great because I think when it comes to finances, obviously, and, and I'm sure you're well aware of this, but obviously everyone should have some base level understanding of finance. So it's pretty self-defeating to assume that you should not learn about the space because you know, of the advantage you really do get, even just by knowing kind of the basics and, and a lot of that stuff, you know, um, it's an overused example, but it's true. Like when it comes to things like compounding and stuff like that, like a lot of it is just, you know, the earlier you know about it and the sooner you employ it, the, the better you're, you are after the fact. So I, I think obviously it makes a lot of sense. And 
you touched on it a little bit, but uh, and you know maybe this is part of the perception of why people might like avoid the area as financial planners. Do you find you have unique challenges catering to that space because you have those irregular incomes? Like I imagine from a financial planning standpoint, that does throw a wrench in the road for for some aspects. Do you have kind of unique challenges you think are, I guess, unique to that clientele? Or uh, do you find overall like it's uh, blown out of proportion, I guess? Mm. My sense is uh, there's there's one really large or primary challenge that that can throw a wrench in the works when it comes to being a creative or having a bunch of side gigs or an entrepreneur or whatever the irregular income doesn't fit neatly into the box of kind of the budgeting and financial planning models that's that ask you the question how much do you make per year or what right. will you what, what can you spend next yeah. month that's coming in We've both mm-hmm. lived the reality of a 50 to 75% swing in our income every month. And we would sit down with the kind of classic budgeting tools, yeah. a spreadsheet or a, a paper form or whatever. And every month, there's the prompt at the very top, what's coming in this month? It's right. like, I think right. this, and it never is. And it's so, it so incredible. So we, we had to kind of, you know, try to fit that square peg into the round hole for some time until we figured out you basically just need a, a, a relatively simple to understand paradigm shift of how to deal with an irregular income person when it comes to projecting income or monthly budget. And then it all kind of falls into place. I would say just to, to boil it down to its most bare component, because you can't predict next month's income within irregular income, we, we just say, stop doing that. And what we teach folks to do instead, and we kind of do this through a process, is to actually work in the mindset of what actually came in last month, and that's what we budget with as a finite number. So it's kind of sort of a mental paradigm shift living on last month's income, which is always a known amount as opposed to having to predict. It does require you to essentially um, make one month of income disappear because you're always always expecting that next paycheck, so you have to... You have to take that hit and it tends to be a little stressful the first time you do it. But once you do, right. we, we made this shift like maybe seven or eight okay. years ago now to where every month that we sit down to budget, we don't ever ask what's coming in next month. We, we ask what came in what last have? month, <laughs> what, what, do we, what right. literally came in that we didn't spend, which is now the entire month's worth of income. And that's what we budget with. And it's a different amount, but it's a known amount. Yeah. And it's, hmm. it's just... It's, it seems so simple, but it's like not intuitive. It wasn't to me. And it's like a wow. game changer when you can just make that tiny shift. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I think, you know, you raise a good point because I've personally seen that a lot. Like, and, you know, you apply for a credit card, you do virtually anything and they're going to ask you what your annual salary is. Well, if it depends, that, that obviously makes things a lot tougher. Um, and I'm a, I'm a very technical guy. I'm a fan of spreadsheets. I could see that being... A challenge and for a lot of people when it comes to things like budgeting and stuff but uh that makes a lot of sense with uh and and it, it's kind of funny because i i think now I, you guys are still kind of living that like now you have youtube which obviously is youtube and uh that's also volatile <laughs> and you run your own business which obviously comes with its own challenges but um i i, I think it makes a lot of sense uh you know 
a lot of these people, you would assume, you know, because their situation doesn't fit nicely into these models, maybe they're just not meant for finance, if you will. But obviously, it sounds like you can figure this stuff out if, if you think of a proper plan for it. And within the investment management space, um, I think there's always been this talk of like a shifting structure in the sense of, you know, more do it yourself and, and uh, more things like robo advisors and more things like base level ETFs, like challenges in that investment management space. I was curious when it comes to financial planning, maybe, and maybe this requires you guys to explain the, the difference between like a, a financial planner and like an investment manager like myself. Um, do you see kind of any shifting things like that? Do you think that people are becoming more educated, maybe more self-sufficient, or do you think people are still uh, looking to rely on financial planners um, to do that sort of work? Because I think that's kind of the main argument is some people see the investment manager as being like a dying breed. Um, do you see kind of similar forces at play when it comes to financial planners or what are the differences there? Yeah, there's, gosh, there's, there's so many, yeah. so many paths I could take on this one. Um, my, I, I would say my sense from my my tiny little point of view, is that the uh, the financial planner is an absolutely no no danger as a species. Um, the 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 kind of case example or or I will point to as to why I think that is uh, when Betterment, the largest mm. robo advisor, hit the market. Their business model they're basically their value proposition was you don't need a financial planner or a financial advisor or an investment manager you need a smart right. algorithm and uh that's us and we're really cheap and we'll we'll kind of you know we can replace all those those folks right. and there was i you know at least in at least in the financial planning world uh a, a bit of trepidation that like oh gosh the robots are coming for our jobs um <laughs> they took our jobs Two years ago, <laughs> Betterment, which is still the largest robo advisor and a very you know significant asset manager for how young they are, announced that their number one priority as a firm right now, what they are putting the most money behind, is growing their Betterment for Advisors platform, which is basically a robo advisor with a human being attached to it that you pay the human being for planning, and yeah. uh, I, I interpret that as Algorithms are awesome. Human beings need another human lots of the time. I think there mm -hmm. is an, a, a deep, deep need to have someone explain something, have empathy to be able to, you know, communicate in stories and understand their family and all these things that algorithm really cannot do. It keep you from making very expensive mistakes, right? And mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating that uh, if anybody on earth should be, <laughs> against this it should be betterment but they're the biggest advocates for this has to happen so i don't we use them. <laughs> yeah so i don't think the terminator's coming for at least for financial planners jobs that's I, good <laughs> i think it's <laughs> that, gonna that be more sure. of a partnership because i think the robo advisors and these smart al algorithms and you know i'm a large proponent myself of you know efficient markets and and you know low-cost e index etfs and all these things that are sort of part of the new wave but it's not a, mm -hmm. it's really not an either or in my opinion. Hey guys, just a quick pause to once again thank our sponsor, Noah, who offers a really awesome service. And if you are liking this podcast, you might really like what they have to offer. 
Noah is an app that professionally narrates and curates playlists of business articles from the likes of Bloomberg, The Economist, and Harvard Business Review, not only letting you listen to thought-provoking pieces, but linking articles together on related subjects so that you get well-rounded coverage and multiple perspectives. In fact, they actually have a team of industry experts behind the service, and it really does show in the quality of their picks. So if you'd like to try them out, you can visit the link in the description or use coupon code BAGEL to get a seven-day free trial, plus 37% off the annual subscription fee. Thanks again, Noah. And now back to the episode. In your job, um, kind of to, to dive into that topic a bit more, do you find like you run, like, I guess I would say, what are the common either roadblocks, whether it be emotional or, or psychological or whatever, that you see people experiencing when it comes to trying to get on top of their finances? Like what are the, I guess, psychological things you see a lot as being financial planners? Skill set and education. Skills and education. Mm. So budgeting the lack of the skill of budgeting is everywhere like mm. hardly anyone comes to me with a very good established skill of being able to aim their money consistently mm. that and without that like how you know it becomes very difficult to build on that so that skill is missing nine mm -hmm. times out of 10. And um, then the other piece that's missing is, is, I think, education, the lack of education. I don't know how it is in Canada, but in the US. It's it's still pretty bare. There's like, nothing have, like there's yeah. no, I didn't get a single personal finance class, nothing. I got like macroeconomics, mm -hmm. but like great use that gave me when I'm thinking of like, should I like, how do I budget or how do I think about loans or, you know, mm. so it's just it's gutted. So people are coming to me with just a hodgepodge of like this article and that article and that conversation they had with their uncle, who's like eight, you know, 30 years <laughs> in the past. Right. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. It's, so those two things, I think, are like the Achilles heel of, of most people's ability to really interact with their money in a healthy way. And so we try mm. what we can to shore, shore those things up. Yeah, we kind of, we integrate this concept into sort of, I would say, kind of two different stratas, I guess, which is, so Julia's an accredited financial counselor, which is going to be, you know, focused on budgeting, debt management, credit score repair, that type of stuff. I would say kind of like the foundational layer. Mm -hmm. And then sure, when it comes yeah. to like the more, you know, growth and future oriented stuff, investments, compound interest, uh, you know, retirement, all the kind of like estate planning, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, the, the, the lack of education, the way that manifests for, for me as a, as a certified financial planner is I, I find one of the biggest roadblocks that I'm, I basically help try to help detangle basically every day of my working <laughs> life is trying to separate the noise of what people are hearing in the world and the news and their uncle and their neighbor from like, so what do I do about that? Like people have no ability to navigate the, those two things uh, and translate like what if this is even relevant that ad for right. gold I saw or Ukraine or inflation like what if this even matters to me and the 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 rare things of those that you should be re reacting to how do you even react um mm. I, 
you know, I, I don't know if I can name one client of mine that has a good instinct uh, on that, at least when we began, because I think a lot of it comes with not just the knowledge, but also experience and education, which if you never have For done sure. this before, you don't have any. Right. And that yeah. puts that like that lack of confidence also puts you, I think, in a continuously reactive mind frame. You're just mm. reacting mm -hmm. to the stimulus that is being thrown at you day in and day out. And some people are like, you know, when, they, especially when they're trying to learn, they're just inundating themselves with stimulus. Yeah. <laughs> so of course. much. So it's like, Oh God, what do I react <laughs> to? Whereas I try and really help coach people on a proactive mindset, your mm. values and your goals should take precedence. It doesn't matter what you read. It doesn't matter what your uncle said. What do you want? If mm. the clearer you can be on that, the easier everything else becomes. Then it's just a, a question of working backwards, right? From that. So it can be that shift is is hard. <laughs> yeah. And and I think like to, to speak on both of them, I mean, obviously if one thing I always say, because I focus on on investments on my channel, investments in, in economics, but because I kind of that's my wheelhouse, one thing I find I'm always repeating is, you know, you don't want to put the cart before the horse. Like you do have to budget before you start chasing cryptocurrencies or, or whatever it is. Like you need to figure out your budgeting and, and obviously, you know, investing is great, but if you can't keep up on your credit card payments, then it doesn't do a whole lot to help you in the long term. Uh, but I definitely, I, I've seen a lot of um, what you were talking to Philip is, uh, at my work too, is, is a lot of clients, like sometimes you just have a client and, and they'll set up a meeting and all they want to do is talk about the daily happenings of what's going on in, in the markets. And because there's all that noise and, and you're right, it, it it's difficult to navigate that if you've never done it, if you've never managed investments or, or have that familiarity with finance. And there's uh, one criticism I, I've always had of YouTube is there's a lot of noise on there when it comes to invest, like, you know, well, you the rise gotta of make Bitcoin. the content, man. <laughs> you know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta get, the air that's how you get the views. Something. It's like, yeah. Well, yeah. So there, there, there's this, there's this terrible combo of like, yeah. there's bad advice, and then there's like, and there's such a want of advice. There's such a lack of of any mm. sort of education on this. So people are hungry, right? They're hungry. So, so like, there's the just totally off the deep end stuff. But I don't think that's most of it. There's, there's, I would say plenty of like appropriate advice in the correct situation, right. which people just, the, the, the lay Context. person does not understand it, You can't parse. Like, is this speaking to me? This guy who's telling me that all you should ever invest in is real estate. Like, is that, is that for mm. me or this crypto thing or this NFT thing? And like, I, you know, every, I would say every week or so I have a call with somebody who's just soaked in a ton of this, like, you can yeah. just like the Reddit <laughs> and the Twitter. You just got to do a, a big old cleanse on them. I can spot him after them. like three sentences <laughs> like, talking. I'm like, I, I know. Your anxiety you is like <laughs> wafting onto me and like, yeah. we need to take a few deep breaths and let all that go because almost none of that pertains to where you are right now. Um, yeah. And even on top of that, I think, uh, you know, just time has shown that when it comes to like any example, like whether it be the latest and greatest investment or the worst investment, like people thinking that stock markets are going to crash or, or whatever it be like, it's just, it's been shown that, you know, long-term focus tends to outweigh that. Like if you have time on your side and you have a strategy you can stick to that isn't 
you, you said reactive. I think that's a great way to put it. Like, you know, reaction isn't necessarily a great investing strategy um, or right. a financial strategy for that. And part. like, you know, money, it's very easy to feel very out of control because there are lots of things out there that are outside of your control. What the market's mm. going to do, you don't know. And like, you can't control, right? So it, mm-hmm. so people are trying to maintain a semblance of control by trying to react all the time. It's like, oh, well, if I just take this information and move on it, then that means I've retained some sense of control mm. through that. And it's right. very, very difficult to convince people out of that <laughs> to be like, mm. actually. Well, I think this, you know, relates, I think, to to what you focus on on your channel and kind of the flavor you bring too, which is like so often the right advice or the advice that time, science, research shows is the best advice is just really boring, boring. or very simple. <laughs> sure, yeah. And like that's that's that is a challenge. You know, you, you asked mm. about challenges. Like mm. I, I I recently tried to look up this study again and I couldn't find it, but I it is a, it is a study and I I have actually read it <laughs> that uh is and you know the 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 gist of it is they they tracked you know families for their kind of wealth accumulation over 30 years, looking at what the driving factors were between how much they saved, asset allocation fees, market timing, you know, uh, specific investment selections and so forth. And something like 75, 76% of it was just like how much they saved. The next Mm. like 10, 11% was asset allocation. And so between like, uh, did you actually save anything at all? And did you have a basic breakdown of stock bonds cash? Uh, is like you're almost at an A on the test is so mm-hmm. boring. Like right. there's that's yeah. so lame. It's like um, save. I know this is kind save of crazy, more? but like, did you actually yeah. save you, anything? You can't save your way to the moon, Philip. That's the <laughs> that's the reason. But but no, it's. I think I might have read. I think I might have read that. Um, it came out. I want to say or like some uh, variant. Oh nine or ten, something like that. Or but uh, so like when folks will come and say, you know so often there's this hyper hyper focus on the remaining you know five to ten percent of like should i be in the this target date fund or that target date fund or i'm thinking about swapping from this you know this index to that index i'm like okay hold on we've totally missed like what the the fact that you're only saving two percent into this is actually much more important yeah of course well i mean like you think of it like saving money is a 100 percent return on like you know the money you you say it like that <laughs> but that's why that's why we come back to budgeting so much right mm. because that's where the savings battle is won and lost yeah of course right there if 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 you can't create a meaningful and consistent gap between what you save and what you spend and like you can't intuit your way into that like our mm-hmm. ability to mentally account for this is crap we we're not built to do that um, mm. so that's why I'm like, I will beat the budget drum until I'm blue in the face. I will die on that hill <laughs> because that is where the power is found to get to invest, to get to build your wealth in any sort of consistent way. Right. Mm. I, I think too, um, even when you focus on the investment side, there have been studies that show that between security selection, so the actual, <clears throat> like you know, picking the Teslas or, or whatever hot stocks and stuff like that, 
versus just general asset allocation, which is just the idea of having, I don't know, just to throw out a number, like a certain percentage of your, of your wealth in stocks versus whatever, that the asset allocation tends to play a bigger role in, in how you do. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people, they take the extreme, well, at least, uh, no, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but a lot of beginners, I guess I would say, uh, you know, you think of investing and you think, oh, like it's about, especially the last few years, it's about finding the right the big one. idea that will blow up and, and make me all this money. And then I don't have to say it because I made a million dollars on right. on Neopet NFTs or, or whatever it is. But um, I, I think like, like you said, I, I like I like saying that good investing is boring because it really is. It, it, there's nothing overly exciting about it. Um, when it comes to the job, I mean, I guess this is more of a, a current question, but do you have any kind of issues that you're seeing clients bring up like on this topic? Uh, like what are kind of the top of mind concerns people are coming forward in a reactionary way currently, I guess? Is it just whatever you see in the headlines or is it uh, something more persistent? I mean, inflation has been, a, you know, a big one, obviously, with under, understandable of course, yeah. reasons. So, you know, that's that's a thing. Uh, like a more persistent one, I would say. So I, I started in the industry in, oh, in 2010. And so yeah. it's been, so I've been, I've been doing this for 12 years and every single year I'm consistently mm-hmm. bombarded with sure. questions about, should I really be investing now? Because it seems like it's about to take a dive. It's always about to take a dive. Every single right. year always. for 12 years always. where we have been shattering all-time <laughs> highs. Almost every single one of those years. It's like, it's right about, the axe is right about to drop. Right, Philip? And it's, it's, it is a, a conversation I'm frankly sort of tired of having about like, <laughs> Fair I don't know and neither do you. So why are you trying to figure yeah. this out? And we're terrible at trying to predict yeah. when the next big one's going to come. Yeah. Um, but there's just this like, uh, the, the honestly, sense of we're right about to have a catastrophe has been constant for 12 I, years. I think it, because we serve the type, the age of people that we serve, we're mostly dealing with people between in their late 20s up to late 40s. Like that's really kind of the vast majority of people we're dealing with are right between there. And 2008 was traumatic. It was. It it created a financial trauma for people who were just getting out of college. I graduated in 08, right? Mm. And uh, I was actually just reading this book. um, I think it was Morgan Hauser, like Psychology of Money, that shows... I've heard of that, yeah. When you are just entering the workforce, the reality of that that economy is deeply imprinted in your mind. And how you approach your finances is greatly shaped just by that. And I think we're seeing that is like people are scared. They see, they see they saw their families. They saw people, you know, their parents losing jobs, their grandparents losing savings, and that's what's in their mind. And they're worried about that. That's, that's deep. And it's real. And I think just dismissing it as silly, completely negates the point. These feelings are real. But how I like to explain it to people is like, whether or not it's coming is not something you can control. And Mm. we don't know 
But how about we try and set up your finances in a way that isn't dependent on whether it soars or crashes, mm. right? Like mm -hmm. there's a way to go about it that like if the stock market crashed tomorrow, I'm not losing sleep because the stuff I have mm -hmm. in there, I don't need for a long time, right? Right. So there's yeah. a way to interact with this very scary thing that doesn't mean you're going to be host if it goes down. Yeah, I, I think... Um... I think that's a good way to put it because, you know, a lot of times people get obviously like, you know, with 2008, that's a good point that makes a lot of sense as to why people for the past 10 years, what was the longest bull run in U.S. history, why people have been waiting for kind of the, the you know, the next big crisis to happen. Uh, but I think that's a really good point that you can prepare yourself so that regardless of whether markets keep going up or, you know, keep going down that you'll be okay. And, and I think some people get hung up on the idea that when times are good, especially because we've had a, such a long yeah. bull market, that that's the time to, you know, okay, well, things have been good for 10 years. Let's, let's dabble in, in some really high risk and <laughs> people kind of lose sight of the, the risk and that they're taking on for these returns. But, you know, you can kind of stem that a little bit so that, you know, sure, you might not be making a million dollars on one position. That sucks, I guess. But long term you'll you'll know you'll be okay regardless of whether markets keep going up or crash because you've set yourself up nicely to do well in either situation right so so yeah. we you and i and julia know that because you know we've we've experienced this and we've we've mm -hmm. we've intellectually learned it and then we've also experienced it but if you haven't experienced it it's sort of a leap of faith and i really have sure. i have i would say two two very different conversations every week with folks about investments. The first one is someone who started investing in the last year and says, boy, Philip, I don't think this is working out. I think we should do something different. And then mm. there's all the rest who say, this is great. I'm so glad. Yeah. What do I need you for? <laughs> yeah, this, this, is, this yeah. is the gravy train. This is the best, you know, the best. No, they're usually like, thank you for convincing oh, okay. me. Okay, well, that's good. No, no, no. It's, it's the opposite. No, it's the opposite. It's the folks who have experienced like what, like a 6% or 5% drop in their equities to say like, you know, like abort, abort. Like we need to do something totally different. Yeah. I thought this would be going up. I thought line goes up. And then like, <laughs> then there's the others who are like, wow, you're so wise, Philip. You're so right. The line does go up in time. Oh, that's great. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. you've had time. So we're kind of uh, closing in on, uh, we've been talking for around 50 minutes so far. Uh, so I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I guess to try and close things off, what would you have in terms of some tips for people? Uh, you know, let's just take a, a, a standard viewer, someone who let's say is just starting their finances, maybe just leading college or whatever, be entering the workforce. What would be some tips you would have in terms of setting yourself up nice financially? You know, obviously, getting a good job is great advice, but uh, in terms of, I guess, what you can do regardless of where you end up working, what would be some tips you could share? Oh, well, <laughs> there's no easy path. Um, I think to, one, okay, we're gonna have different, you know. Uh, <laughs> there's like 60, 60 things we can say here, like, so we'll oh, pick one or two. Sure, yeah. We have so many, but obviously for me, it's gonna be budgeting because mm -hmm. that's like driving school. You need to learn how to drive your money. 
If you don't know how to drive your money, it doesn't matter if you're making 50 grand or 500 grand. And I've worked with mm. people all in between. And believe it or not, you can make a lot of money and still be mega stressed out because you don't have the skill of aligning it with your values. And so it takes a little while, like give it, if you really focus on just teaching yourself how to budget or hiring a coach to teach you, there are, there are some of us out there, assume it's going to take like five to six months, like, mm. and then you will have a skill set for the rest of your life and know that it's not going to be easy. It's going to be kind of hard and stressful. And it's going to tell you things you don't like at first, at first, just mm. like when you learn how to drive a car, you're like, Oh my God, everybody's out to kill me. I'm going to murder somebody. Like I'm freaked out. I'm not good at this. Right. You're like, uh, uh, uh. that's exactly mm. how this is, but it's a skill set that if you spend that time to do, will mm. have the most massive impact better than any like Tesla stock you might buy. <laughs> like that's where for me, yeah. I'm like, take the time. I know it's boring. I know it kind of sucks. But once you get through that hard piece, it's like, I'm never, never going to not have it. And it allows yeah, I, you to make the most of no matter what you make. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to dive too deep into it now, but now that we're kind of wrapping things up, but I, I do find that that's usually one of the biggest hurdles people have is a fear to like, look at how much they've spent. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like a, a huge thing for budgeting. Absolutely. Because it's a reflection of you. We have a ton of guilt and shame when it comes to this stuff, right? Kind of like, you know, our bodies, like how, how, you know, we're talking, oh, don't look at that. Let's not talk about that. You know, of course we have, a, it's very difficult to look at things fully in the face. Um, but once you're in the light, there's no going back, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, oh gosh. Okay. Um, but yeah. People have a have avoidance with this stuff because it's high stakes and it feels very emotionally heavy, you know. Sure. For some reason, financial, especially CFPs, but I would just say financial advisors yeah. in general, like really kind of sneer at the prospect of, of helping people budget. It's yeah. almost like it's... They're like, you need to go figure that out and then come back. when you're and then It's not even yeah. worth their time, <laughs> which like, is very strange right. to me. Uh, um, but I mean, I have to say, I, I agree that like, if if you had like the success fight personal finance success mm -hmm. pie chart, like sixty percent of it is like, do you have a budget you actually update, review, and up and make yeah. changes to once a month? Like if that if that yeah. is a yes or no, I, I would really say that's over half, over half of success. Oh, yeah. It is again, so not sexy, not not exciting, not gonna blow your mind. Uh, but the people we see, if I if I see that checked yes or no with oh, anyone my. I talk to, it's like Okay, the, the, we're, we're going to make it or we're not. Really. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, right. Makes sense. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, for my part, I'll maybe take a, a different topic, which I would say, um, especially someone who's first entering the workforce, I would say paying off debt is a fabulous investment. If you're, mm. if you're focusing on what to invest in, not only are you getting rid of interest rate, which is nice, and f folks tend to focus on that, but further, you're actually freeing up cash flow for years into the future which you yeah. don't know yeah. what's coming down the road but there's going to be some bad things there's going to be some challenges <laughs> there's going to be some surprises right. and the more cash flow you can free up makes budgeting easier makes saving way easier makes bad things less bad when they happen yeah. and it is just not a very attractive thing to do right now among folks is to get rid of debt especially low interest debt 
is just the least sexy thing to pay off because, you know, other people's money and I could be investing this instead of blah, blah, blah. I, I would say if, if I could give any advice that I knew someone would follow coming out of college, it would be getting rid of debt is an incredible investment. You will be so glad you mm. gave down the road. Yeah. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing those uh, tips. I'm sure viewers will find them very helpful. And thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. I, I know it was, it was a, a bit of a stretch to, to get together, but it was, it was well worth it, I think. Guys, thank you for joining us today. You can find Philip and Julia online on Two Cents, the YouTube channel. I'm sure you guys, if you watch personal finance videos, have seen them at one point or another. Uh, do you guys have any other kind of socials or anything you'd like to shout out? I have a new podcast. <laughs> that I started. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Uh, yeah, my best friend, uh, Lindsay, she's also a financial planner and we're both um, professional musicians. So mm -hmm. we, <laughs> and like, we're sort of comedians at heart. So it's called Your Money Mamas and it's like funny financial advice and we uh, write a original piece of music for every episode. So you can find them there on all the things. <laughs> so there's that and then our firm is the art of finance that's where we're at for that and then uh two cents on youtube cool okay well guys thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate that uh you took the time to, to chat our pleasure it was yeah, fun thanks for having us guys thank you for watching and yeah we'll see you in the next one cheers A final thanks to Noah for sponsoring this episode, and your final reminder to use code BAGEL for a 7-day free trial and 37% off the annual subscription fee. Thanks for watching.